Hello and welcome to the Deeply Rooted Podcast. We are here to root deep in God's Word so that we can live lives of unshakable faith. My name is Ben Jacobson. I am one of the pastors at Hope Lutheran Church in Fargo, North Dakota. And I am joined today by my colleague, Pastor Stephen Dunkel. Hey, hey, good to be here. Yes, it's good to have you back on. Today we're looking at the book of Deuteronomy, specifically in chapter 5 and 6, some verses there. We last time talked about Moses, and so we've got some distance between that part of Moses' life and this part of Moses' life, sort of the beginning to the end, closely, Mm -hmm. of his life. So we're going to bridge the gap there. But one of the things we're going to talk about today is the Ten Commandments. And thinking about, you know, oftentimes we think of these as the rules, the the playbook uh, of of our faith, and maybe we'll see that it's that it's a little more nuanced than that. I think, but thinking about rules and laws, Stephen, when you were growing up, what is a rule that you had in your house that you did not like? So my grandmother mm-hmm. out at the lake cabin, she had a physical line on the dock. Mm-hmm. that us as kids, we couldn't cross. She was worried that we would drown. And that line was so far up on the dock that you couldn't, if you were to fall off the dock in that section, you'd still fall onto the shore. <laughs> the dock overlapped part of the shore, and you could only go as far as the end of the shore. That's where that line was drawn. It sounds like she had. she was a smart lady. Mm-hmm. She loved us. That actually reminds me. Okay, so I was thinking of some of the rules, and I have a memory. It's not so much a rule, but I have a memory of me being in my bedroom, getting ready for bed, and hearing other neighbor kids out playing. Like, oh, no, you have to come in early. Um, but now that you say that, another rule that we had at the lake was we had to wear our life jackets when we were swimming until we were a certain age or we could swim well enough. And I did not like that. Mm -hmm. It hindered my swimming. When we complained about rules, my parents would say, I'm sorry, I love you. (laughs) You think God says that too? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry that I love you. I'm sorry that I love you. All right. Well, we have lots of things to cover today. So we're going to read. We're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 through 22. Then we're going to skip ahead just a little bit to chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And so we're reading today from the NIV. Here we begin. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws that I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them 
or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud, and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. And now moving forward to chapter 6, beginning with verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. All right. So there's a lot in here. There's a lot, a lot in there. We won't probably get a chance to look at every single commandment and parse out what that means for our lives. I would invite our listeners to review those, read them again, um, and take some time thinking about that. But let's talk just sort of in general. What what things did you hear? Did you see? What questions came up to you as you you heard this and read this, Stephen? That phrase, face-to-face, stood out to me, mm. Deuteronomy 5, 4, because we read, no one can see God's face and live, and yet here's Moses talking to God face-to-face. Hmm. There's God writing the on these two stone tablets. So you have Yahweh writing and hmm. giving this Torah, this law to Moses. And then you've got this idea, hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God, the Lord, is one. And so this face-to-face writing on tablets, this God who has won, these are some things that excite me in terms of exploring more deeply. I think it's interesting to look at when you see, you know, at the beginning, this is 
Moses recounting something that has already happened, right? Retelling something that has already happened. And we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about how this isn't the first time that the Ten Commandments appear in Scripture. We've come a long way from Exodus to Deuteronomy. We've passed over a few books in between. And that was intentional because we can't do everything as we're discovering this story of Scripture together. We have to use certain stories. doesn't mean that these are more important than the ones that we pass by. We will get to them next time we tell the story of Scripture, right, from beginning to end. Um, but so, so there's, there's a lot that happened f- since the last time. What, what ha- how do we get from th- the beginning of Moses' story where he's drawn out of the river in a basket to now? Well, Moses gets a late start. He murders an Egyptian, hides him in the sand, spends the next several decades of his life out in the wilderness. He marries a girl, settles down, tends his father-in-law's flocks, and so he's 70 years old, still doesn't have his own flocks, his own land. He's just a nobody in the middle of nowhere, tending his father-in-law's flocks when he heads down into this red rock wadi, and there is a bush, green leaves, completely on fire. Mm-hmm. And there's this figure from within the fire that calls to him, that speaks to him. And this begins this relationship of talking with Yahweh face to face. And he will go on, and I'm summarizing chapters upon chapters of scripture right now to deliver God's people from slavery in Egypt. And then they move out into the wilderness, and they're there for an extended period of time. Yep, and so he's somewhere between age 80 and 120 right now, given those 40 years in the wilderness and him getting his start at 80. So, you know, if you're still under the age of 80 and you feel like your life hasn't started yet, Moses got his big break at 80. Joshua got his big break at 80. Caleb got his big break at 80. You know, you still got some chapters left. So 80, if you're 79, 80 is potentially a really big year for you. Get ready. <laughs> yeah, get ready. God's got big plans yeah, for you. Yeah, huge plans. That's great. So the uh, now this, God's people have been moving towards land that God had promised them long ago, right? And this is, we are now preparing to enter into that land. Yep. So Moses is giving this final sermon, right? They're, they're 60 feet away, just across the Jordan River, right? They can see it. Yep. They can't get through this river by themselves. They don't know how God will bring them across, but they could skip a rock there. It's, you know, it's so, so tantalizingly close. I'm not very good at skipping rocks. I probably couldn't skip a rock 60 feet, but they could. They could. Yeah. We're, we're going to say that. So Moses, he gives this second law, this second telling of the story this final sermon before he leaves them behind. He stays in the wilderness. This is where he will die. Um, But Joshua will lead them across. And so Deuteronomy literally means Deutero is second in Greek. Nami, namas, is law. So Deutero, nami, second law. Second law. What is that? He's retelling. He's retelling the account of what happened in the book of Exodus when they received the law. Yep, when he went up on the mountain. And so Exodus 31, 18, 
When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. Wow. What on earth does the finger of God mean? I'm, a, I'm guessing that that's the first place and maybe the only place in Scripture where the fing- that phrase, finger of God, is used. Well, it I is don't the know first. That. It's the first, but it's not we'll the last. We'll have some fun when we get to the book of Daniel. Okay. <laughs> okay. There's more of that. Oh, definitely. In fact, so there's this really curious thing. And I think Exodus 33, if we just flip two pages to the right, is a great example of this. Where Exodus 33.11 says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Mm-hmm as one speaks to a friend. Mm-hmm. But just a few verses later, Exodus 33, uh, 19 and 20, and the Lord said, you cannot see my face, mm-hmm. for no one may see me and live. And we talked, I'll just pause you for a second. We talked a little bit about that when we were talking about Jacob wrestling and how exactly. this happened in the dark mm-hmm. and it ended before the light came mm-hmm. so that Jacob wouldn't be seeing anyone. Potentially, but I think there's something deeper happening. Okay, tell me what you think. Because Moses does see him. Mm -hmm. Yes? Yes. And we have all these examples. So Genesis 3, we've got Yahweh walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis Mm -hmm. 18, Yahweh dines with Abraham and Sarah under the trees of Mamre. Mm -hmm. Genesis 32, Yahweh wrestles with Jacob, as you mentioned, and he loses, Mm -hmm. probably on purpose. (laughs) Exodus 31, Yahweh writes on stone Mm -hmm. with his finger and talks face to face with Moses. Judges 6, Yahweh speaks face to face with Gideon. Judges 16, there's this great story of Manoah. I feel not enough people know the story of Manoah, who the angel of the Lord promises him a son who will be Samson. You've got 1 Samuel 3, Yahweh stands by Samuel's bed. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we see this figure mm-hmm. who is Yahweh, who is God, mm-hmm. and yet he is incarnate. He has mm-hmm. a human body. Mm-hmm. And so we have this Yahweh who cannot be seen, mm-hmm. and we have this Yahweh who often is seen. Interesting. Yeah. So what do we do with that? Well... I'll skip ahead to the answer, and then I'll go back to the process. Okay. So skipping ahead to the answer, we as Christians know, because Christ has revealed himself, Yahweh is one God in three persons, Mm -hmm. three personas. There's the Father, whom no one can see and live. There's the Son, who is fully human, fully God, appears to people. And you have the Spirit, whose power and presence holds the seen and unseen together. So you have the unseen Father, you have the seen Son, you have the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we think, oh, this starts at Christmas, right? Jesus shows up, born of the Virgin Mary. And that gets his humanity right, but it gets his divinity uh, wrong. It's too Mm. small. God isn't limited by time. And so here we have examples of the risen Jesus and the church historically will talk about this a lot. The risen Jesus entering into his creation at these different points. So glimpses. Yep. To encounter his people. So when we talk about the faith of Abraham mm-hmm. or the faith of Moses, their faith is in Christ. 
hmm. in Yahweh Jesus whom they met. It's Yahweh Jesus walking with Adam and Eve. It's Yahweh Jesus dining with Abraham and Sarah. It's Yahweh Jesus wrestling with Jacob. It's Yahweh Jesus whose finger is writing the Torah to Moses. Hmm. Amazing. Probably a lot of us haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about that. Um, so that's a that's a really interesting revelation of the presence of Jesus, a.k.a. the presence of God in this whole. Because I think a lot of us as, as people of faith might say that that the God of the Old Testament is different in some way than the God of the New Testament. And that is not true. Yeah, or we'll think that... Because God is God. When you read God in the Old Testament, that that's referring to the Father. Yeah. Then when we read Yahweh, that's referring to the Father. Well, no, Yahweh is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is how we can have in the same chapter, no one can see Yahweh and live. Mm -hmm. And... Moses spoke with Yahweh face to face. It's probably the only way to explain that. Mm -hmm. Lovely. And this isn't foreign to the ancient world. So you have, you know, if we talk about the Egyptians, mm -hmm. right? You've got their sun god, Aten. And so you have the sun disk in the sky. They believe that the spirit behind this is Aten. You've got the statue in the temple that one would go to, you know, leave sacrifices and they would believe that this is Aten. And they would believe that the Pharaoh himself is a manifestation, a persona of Aten. And so you have these three personas, but only one Aten. Now, there are similarities and differences. Because for the Egyptians, they believed anytime they built a new statue of Aten, there's a new persona of Aten. Mm -hmm. And so Yahweh makes very clear, right from the start in these Ten Commandments, he says... I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery. You should have no other gods before me. You should not make for yourself an image. He says, you can't manufacture personas of me. I am who I am, and I reveal myself as I reveal myself. Hmm. So this idea in the Old Testament that there would be uh, multiple personas of Yahweh is it's right there on the page. As we get into Ezekiel, he, Ezekiel even has a vision of this. He has the Ancient of Days and before him the Son of Man coming mm -hmm. on the clouds. Mm -hmm. And both are called Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And so as you know, we near the New Testament, near this Christmas moment, the people of God, Israel, they're looking forward to the day when Yahweh the Son enters into his creation. Hmm. They're longing to see the face that Moses saw, the face of Jesus. Hmm. That's amazing. Let's talk about the word law. Yeah. So we, when we say second law, when we say law, what, what are we talking about? Yeah, so this word law is, it's Torah in Hebrew. So sometimes you hear these first five books called the Torah, mm -hmm. and it simply means teaching. So it's a lot broader than how we might think of a list of do's and don'ts. Mm -hmm. It starts off, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And this word Lord, this is Yahweh. This law, this is the teaching of who God is and who we are. And it's really a toolbox to 
help us encounter Christ. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, so as Lutherans, we, we would say that, well, lots of Lutherans would say that there are three uses to the law. Some would say two, but I would say three. Uh, and the, the three are that, that the law, the teachings are a curb that, that keep us in line, right? Like a, like a curb keeps us on the road. These keep us on the path. Um, another thing they do is they are a mirror. And a mirror, what does a mirror do? It shows us who we really are. And so when I look at these Ten Commandments, I realize my own sin. Mm -hmm. Not just the sin of other people, but my own sin. I look in the mirror. Um, and, and it drives me to need the salvation of Jesus. And lastly, um, it's almost like the first use again, but the third use is this spiritual guide. It teaches us how if we are forgiven people, this is then how we should live as God intended us to live. So really three simple ways that we can, when we read the Ten Commandments and the teaching, we can, the other laws in the, you know, because there's a lot of them, mm -hmm. not just these ten, right? But when we, when we read that, we can, we can know how, how we're supposed to encounter them. So um, let's talk about, this is the second iteration of the Ten Commandments in Scripture. Some of us reading this, maybe if we're from non-Lutheran, non-Catholic, or, sorry, mm -hmm. traditions, might look at the numbers, the ordering of the Ten Commandments, and wonder how how are we supposed to order them, because uh, different traditions do it differently. So yeah. let's talk about that. So there are, there's a clear break. There are the first set of commandments that talk about loving God. Mm-hmm. And the second set of commandments to talk about loving people. And so Jesus will summarize the law. He'll say, all the law and the prophets, they can be summarized in this. Love God, love your neighbor. And so then the question is, how many commandments are loving God? How many commandments are loving your neighbor? And the text isn't clear. Mm -hmm. So the rabbis and even the Masoretic text tradition that the rabbis, um, how they arrange their manuscripts, and the, this is after Christ. This is the first millennium A.D. They divided it into five and five, two what they call pentads of commandments. Now, the Christian traditions, they divided them into three and seven. So there are three commandments for loving God, seven commandments for loving people. Mm -hmm. And St. Augustine, in the fourth century, he talks about how it's three for loving God because God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It's an image of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And then these seven, they are the seven days of creation, how we love God's creation. Hmm. And seven, because Sabbath is included in that, this idea of rest. And so you have all seven days of creation. So three commandments for loving God, three are com seven commandments for loving God's creation. So, so that's really what's at the center here is this is how we love God, and this is how we love the people around us. Yep, and then a number of Protestant traditions today, as um, well as some other Christian groups around the world, will break it into four and six, this happy medium between the Jewish numbering, or the really rabbinic Jewish numbering, and then the Christian numbering. There's a question, well, shouldn't the Jewish be the one to go, since so it's a Hebrew text? Well, we have to remember the rabbis, they're writing after the church, and really in response to the church. Mm. So if the church says this is three and seven because it reflects the Trinity— They'll say, well, we can't have that because sure. we've rejected 
sure. the Christ. Yep. That makes sense. So we are three and seven in our three, tradition. Three and seven. And yep. it's interesting. So Jesus quoted the book of Deuteronomy quite often. He I think did. it's the most quoted book of scripture from Jesus. Yep, there with the Psalms. Yep. Um, and so Jesus talks about uh, how we sum up the commandments. And what does he talk about? Loving God and love, love God, your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Right? So he makes that division as well, which I think is important. Obviously, it's important if Jesus said it, right? What else sticks out to you when you read these commandments? Well, you know, there's so much. But right off the bat, this idea you should, you should have no other gods before me, mm-hmm. the first commandment. There's this idea that there are other gods that you shouldn't worship. And we see this throughout the arc of the Torah. This God is greater than the gods of Egypt. The God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. You say, well, well, wait a second. You know, we often don't think like that as modern readers. We think that the people of Israel, they were good monotheists. They believed that only one God existed. And yet as we read through the scriptures, we see maybe something a bit more nuanced. It'll sound pretty provocative, but really it'll, it'll land in a place that I think we all recognize. That ancient Israel, they weren't monotheists. They were what we call henotheists. So a monotheist believes that only one God exists. A henotheist believes that only one God deserves the title of capital G God. There's one supreme God over all other spiritual beings. And so we'll see how Paul talks about all the gods of the nations are demons. He doesn't say all the gods of the nations are fictions. He says that they are spirits in rebellion to God. And then as we get into this idea in the Shema, right, which is really where we're landing today, that Deuteronomy 6, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Right? Mm -hmm. There's this idea that there is one God Mm -hmm. who is above all other spiritual powers. That's why we don't need to fear Egypt. We don't need to fear Babylon. We don't need to fear inflation, (laughs) you know, in Mm -hmm. 21st century America, Mm -hmm. because there is one God over all of it. And we need to be faithful to Yahweh God. And, you know, I think the leap is pretty easy to make when we look at our own lives and we realize the gods that we make and give power to, like the gods of money or materialism Mm -hmm. or pride i mean we give we we create these gods we make we even make images of them in our lives and so our struggle is is very similar to the struggle of the the people that moses was talking to all of israel gathered together the struggle is to say there is only one there is only one God who deserves my attention and my yep. heart and my everything else. And I order and pattern my life around that God. And here's how you do it with these 10 commandments. There may be many lowercase g gods in our world, but there is only one capital G God. Mm-hmm. And this brings us into, and I want to bridge this into the story of Paul in the New Testament. Because this Shema here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Well, it continues, 
And it says that we're supposed to talk about these and we sit at home and we walk along the road and we lie down and we get up. Mm-hmm. And so the rabbis around the time of the first century, they wanted to take everything as literal as possible. Mm-hmm. And so every time that they got up in the morning, they would pray these words in Hebrew. Shema Yisrael That's it in Hebrew. They just repeat this. They'd cycle it. Mm-hmm. When they went to bed, the same thing. When they walked on the road, they'd loop it. Mm-hmm. And then it says, tie them as a symbol on your hands, bind them on your foreheads. They would literally roll up little scrolls, put them in leather pouches, and they'd bind them in these places. And still there are people who do that to this day. They do. So the one in the forehead, it's called a phylactery, this little box. Write them on the door frames, it says, verse 9 that we read. They would roll up little scrolls, put them in a little wooden box on the door frame. And they might, you know, kiss that when they leave. Mm-hmm. There's this idea that these words are everywhere. They're patterning their entire life around, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, or otherwise translated, the Lord alone. It's... The word Yahweh and the word one just put together, subject, predicate. Mm-hmm. So that could be the Lord is one or the Lord alone, but same idea. Mm-hmm. There's one supreme God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. And so here's the Apostle Paul. He has been persecuting Christians. He's not the Apostle Paul yet. He is the Pharisee Saul. He's heading up from Jerusalem to Damascus with his stack of arrest warrants to arrest Christians, and he's walking along the road, he's praying this prayer. Mm-hmm. Shema Yisrael, that's a doubt. He's just looping it over and over again, and he's contemplating this vision Ezekiel had of the Son of Man coming on the clouds, Yahweh the Christ, and he wants to see that face mm-hmm. that Ezekiel saw. He wants to see who the Messiah is. And as he's walking along, all of a sudden, the goal of his faith, the goal of praying the Shema, it happens. This light so bright, it overwhelms the noonday sun. And he hears this voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Hmm. He stumbles to the ground. These arrest warrants, they spill out over the dirt and thistle. And there before Saul is Jesus Christ, Yahweh Jesus. And it's just like Ezekiel said. Ezekiel writes, chapter 1, 28, he says, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds in a rainy day, so is the radiance around him. This is the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of the one speaking. So he's like blinding light, check. Face plant, check. Heavenly voice, check. Here is Yahweh the Son, and to his shock and horror, Yahweh the Son is Jesus of Nazareth, hmm. whom he was persecuting. Hmm. And so all of the law, these Ten Commandments, the Shema, they are not the way that we are saved, healed. They're not the way that we find right relationship with God. They are preparation for encountering Yahweh, Jesus, the Christ. One of the things that I love about the Shema in particular is just the practicality of how we are supposed to carry the promises of God with us by just 
talking about them and remembering them when we wake up and when we go to bed and teaching our children. You know, I think so often we, we don't know how to live a life of faith, but if you read, if you read chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, verses 4 through 9, there's some pretty clear instructions there. Yeah, it's love God with everything you got. Yeah, love. and Talk and, about it. And talk about it. Yeah. You know, you don't have to have a PhD in biblical studies to talk about God with your children and to live a life of faith that way. And some of you are doing this right now. You're you're listening to this as you drive your car on your way to work, right? Or when you're when you're on the road and you maybe you're maybe this is putting you to sleep when you're lying <laughs> down. I'm just kidding, you're not doing that. Uh, but so just really practical and I'm always surprised by scripture in that way of how it just speaks to, you know, the moment of or speaks to to our own hearts in in the moment where we encounter it. And so thank you, Stephen, for um, all that you brought today and all these wonderful things to think about in terms of this telling of the Ten Commandments and, and how it how these words drive us to Jesus and to his salvation and to the God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and how that lingers on all of the pages of Scripture. What an amazing, amazing thing. Folks, we're going to be back again next week, and uh, we hope that you will join us. In the meantime, like, subscribe, share this with your uh, friends. Give us a, a rating, four, five. I don't think you can do six-star ratings, but you know you could try. Uh, you could write it in yeah, a review. Yes, <laughs> yes. Five was not enough. No. Uh, in the meantime, though, stay deeply rooted. 